Hi there. Hello. Sorry, I'm a couple minutes late. My oh, so it's okay. So many windows open on my computer and Zoom is <laughs> open. So. It happens. And then every time you open a different uh, video system, uh, settings have to get changed. You know, I, I don't know if you have to use a VPN. I've got a Cisco AnyConnect for work and they're changing it tonight. And I think I've got, I'm just looking at the bottom. I got a Mac. I'm looking, I've got over 50 something documents and emails open so <laughs> anyway yeah that's always fun i i've had those issues um so uh uh i guess it will start out uh with some introductions sure um, here's, here's my plan before we get started on how i'm going to use this um i i intend to send direct messages to legislators um, obviously some will watch, some won't. I'm going to try to chop it down and have like a 15 minute version and then a full length version. And, um, then once it gets to be vote time, uh, I'll probably send it out to my mass email, uh, list. Uh, I, I'm kind of approaching it as, uh, uh, tackling them as a group of bills because they're very similar. They're trying to do the same things in different ways and not really, and, and not, all that different ways really they're kind of just parallel approaches and uh so you know i think it's useful for um for people to understand what what is going on as a whole and how this appears to be a a concerted effort um so with that i will uh open up here uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Dustin Geverlow, Managing Director of the North Dakota Watchdog Network. And today I am speaking with uh, Peter Gelstad. Is that the uh, one? Gelstad, the J like a Y, a nice Norwegian name. Ah, okay. Family still in North Dakota. So. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, I've got one of those names too. It's Ukrainian. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I've got some Ukrainian friends here in the cities. You know, the, your Ukrainians, they always talk about who's Orthodox and who's Catholic. So. Yes. Yeah. And the, and the Orthodox who think they're Catholic. Oh, really? Another, a, my grandpa was one of them. <laughs> okay. And uh, do you have any Germans from Russia blood in you too? Somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, they were from the part of uh, Ukraine that, that constantly was changing countries between Poland, Lithuania, Ukraine, uh, and I think there's even some uh, Czechoslovakia in that area too. So, okay, yeah. And uh, so, you know, we're we're looking at these bills, and um, you know, just for full disclosure, uh, would you uh, tell us your title and all that? Sure. Uh, my name is Peter Fjellstad, and I'm a senior director for uh, state policy at Pharma. And that's the Pharmaceutical Researchers and Manufacturers of America. We're a trade association of um, 33 brand name uh, biopharmaceutical manufacturers. So brand name only, not generics. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, you know, this session, the, there have been, I believe there's four total bills that are looking at ways of at the state level, controlling the prices of prescription drugs. And obviously this has been a long standing issue. Um, you know, 20 years ago, this was Byron Dorgan's pet project uh, at the national level. Uh, uh, Donald Trump took on this cause as part of his populist uh, messaging. Uh, and so it then somehow became a, a Republican issue. Um, which is kind of interesting on how quickly that flipped. Um, and, and so we've got several bills, uh, uh, Senate Bill 2209, uh, Senate Bill 2170, uh, House, or no, Senate Bill 2212, and then House Bill 1032. And they're all kind of going in the same direction, uh, which is, uh, one of them wants to, to piggyback on other states and, and, and let other states create a uh, importation program where, where, North, or where American states would buy drugs out of Canada thinking that they are going to get some sort of a reduction. First of all, I'd like to address one issue that I always bring up in this is, is um, 
why do people think that Canada would want to uh, allow us to do this in the first place? You know, Dustin, I think that's a great question because um, during the testimony specifically on the, the two importation, pure importation bills, um, 2209 and 2212, um, there were Canadian uh, residents and officials that spoke out in op opposition um, Canada, unlike the United States, you know, the healthcare system is very different and it's really an apple and or apples and oranges comparison. Um, I'm from Minnesota, a lot of families still in North Dakota and, you know, Minnesota, North Dakota, they have uh, different programs, private and uh, private programs, but that take seniors and buses up over the border to get um, meds that are discounted. Um, but those hearings on the two North Dakota importation bills, um, they don't those officials don't want to um, want to have what's yet to be any successful state program for importation of drugs from um, from Canada to those states and, and, and being in a border state, North Dakota, it's more on top of people's minds. Um, they are they do have drug shortages in North Dakota. Um, and that's something we don't really have here. Um, we're a, 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 a hotbed of innovation. You just look at what's happened with the COVID vaccine and other drug breakthroughs. And that wasn't always the case. Um, not really until the 1980s did the United States become that way um, with biopharmaceutical development. And that's because um, we changed a lot of our system um, to, to lift restrictions on um, companies doing the research and development and ultimately the distribution of drugs. And, and so these Canadian officials, they don't want to have um, um, states set up importation programs um, for many reasons, and also the fact that they have an extremely small um, closed um, system. And, you know, there's a lot less people in Canada than there are in the United States with different needs. They have a different delivery system of, of care. And so anything to mess with that, they just don't want to deal with. One side note, um, they have a specific board, a federal Canadian board, and that manages and restricts certain price increases for brand name drugs in Canada. Um, in, in turn, they don't have that type of regulation for generics. So generics are actually more expensive in Canada than they are in the United States. And in the United States, 90% of Americans get their drugs via generics. Um, and so that's kind of a separate issue, but that's kind of a long-winded answer to your question. The systems are apples and oranges, especially when you talk about the importation issue and these Senate bills 2209 and 2212. Yeah, because Canada has a mix of, of hard price caps and then also subsidies. And, and so, uh, and I don't know the exact details of that, and I'm sure it's a a, a drug by drug basis, actually, uh, depending on what its purpose is and that sort of thing, how, how elective it is, those sort of factors that come into it. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it really is, I mean, I know that Canada initially when, when we had these busloads of people coming up there, they were pushing against that on a personal, you know, 20 person at a time level. Uh, so this idea that somehow they're going to want us to uh, come in and raid their supplies uh, is, is really not, um, it, it's just not logical really when it comes down to it, because as you said, they're a much smaller country. And, um, you know, so they've got, you know, their, their form of socialism, which is kind of a Scandinavian form of socialism. And, and uh, uh, you know, that sometimes works when you have, uh, a lot of revenue from some some uh, specific industries, and not a lot of people to take care of. Uh, so that there's there, there's there's reasons that those systems work in those countries more than it would work here. And you know, one of the things that always comes up is that you know the, people ask, well, why are drugs in America so much higher than other countries? And part of it is because, at least this is what I've always been told and what I've repeated in the past is because these other countries control the prices, we have to pay the difference. Is that, is that accurate and how accurate is that? Hmm. You know, I don't know. I think that's, it's unfortunately, it's a, great, it's a great area to answer that question. The reason is again, when we were seeing apples and oranges between the Canadian healthcare system, including 
um, pharmaceuticals in, in the United States. It's also the same um, for that and, and, and us subsidizing them. Um, we don't have the type of backlogs, both in wait to see a specialist or a primary care doctor or refilling of a prescriptions, and they're limited in the raw materials that they have in Canada um, to produce. And so most of their most of their manufactured drugs come from other countries. Now that's not the case in the United States. Most of the drugs that people consume in the United States are actually made from uh, materials here, but we do have a very diverse supply chain throughout the country. The fact of the matter is there's just a lot of different entities in the United States supply chain um, versus what is in Canada, where it is, as you said, socialized medicine or a single payer system, one of two really prominent ones, the other being the United Kingdom of single payer healthcare. You know, in the United States, um, drugs overall for brand name medicines have only increased uh, 1.7% in 2019. That's the recent data we have available and that's below inflation for the third year in a row. So to answer your question, kind of, hopefully it's not too indirect way. The problem really is, is with some of these outstanding um, cases in North Dakota and other states where um, individuals have rare conditions or really expensive conditions that necessitate um, extremely expensive care. That sometimes that extremely expensive care is um, in a drug therapy or the consumption of a drug. And those are the types of outline issues that make their way. Um, those patients, you know, they, they contact their legislator and they want to know what can be done about it. Um, we always say the rebates that we provide to, to patients get eaten up, um, and not to point fingers, but by the, the health plans, the, health, the insurers and the pharmaceutical benefit managers or PBMs. Because frankly, um, if all the rebates that the manufacturers, our member companies, um, made available for patients to drive down the cost they pay at the pharmacy counter or for their mail-in pharmacy, um, they'd see a dramatic reduction uh, right away. And there's um, bills we've had in North Dakota and other states that have passed legislation to really get at that issue and figure out what's going on. One of the bills that we're, we're, we're going to talk about today is um, 1032. And, um, and that is, you know, pet providing transparency across the supply chain. So it's not just on the people that pharma represents the manufacturers, but the wholesale distributors who then send them to the pharmacy and on the pharmacy and the hospitals who provide them to the patients and on the health plans and the PBMs. So people can really see where the money's going, especially those rebate dollars. So hopefully I kind of painted somewhat of a picture, but you know, I also wanted to talk about these importation issues. One of the biggest concerns is safety. And that's not only what um, the Department of Homeland Security and sheriffs in North Dakota have said, but also Canadian. You know, we've talked about uh, strengthening borders and um, especially uh, under President Trump and doing a, um, these type of importation bills, these plans under them. Um, you know, no other state's been able to guarantee the safety required under the federal law that President Trump signed to make the, these importation programs a reality. The, the rule basically said they left it up to the states to determine how to make sure that the ingredients um, in the drugs, as well as any sort of narcotics trade as a result of it, or bootlegging, for lack of a better term, was all gonna be safe and no state's been able to do that, including North Dakota as a result of these bills. Yeah, so, so uh, getting to, to the price issue, how much of what people see at, on their receipt and, and what people hear about on the news of you know thousands of dollars a month, those sort of situations, how much of that is middleman uh, up, up, up charging and is there anything that states can do about that or is that entirely federal? Both, it's both. And it depends on the type of health plan you have. So, um, you know, we've got, we've got legislation in different states that we've pushed in, in, in North Dakota. I know for the latest numbers I have available from 2018, um, we spent uh, 166 billion in 2019 on rebates, in, excuse me, 2019, but then uh, 37 million was rebated back to the state of North Dakota. And so that's the, the latest figures I have available. For, so that pot of $37 million that goes back to you know residents or consumers in North Dakota, 
um, we don't have a lot of visibility in how that's going to somebody that works for an employer based that has an employer based uh, health plan. Um, you know, the employer pays a certain share of the premium and moves a deductible around and the co pays and the co insurance. But what we'd like to see is how much of those that $37 million or, you know, for their updated numbers, what those are going to be for the 2020 numbers when we get them. How is that being distributed to the patients specifically um, that are that should be receiving those so so I, I know that we've got that big number I just don't know how it's hitting people at the counter. Okay. Um, now, now one of these bills, uh, it is, uh, which one is this? Uh, 2170 is the reference pricing concept of pegging our prices and, and installing price controls at the state, at the North Dakota state level, uh, commiserate to, and based on prices in, uh, in Canada, specifically British Columbia, Alberta, and Quebec, the Quebec uh, Public Drug Price Program. Yep. Uh, and um, so, you know, the first thought is whenever you get price controls, uh, obviously you're going to have supply issues. And secondly, if why would, why would North Dakota or why should they not uh, uh, be tying their own hands to what the Canadians are doing? You know, it, it doesn't seem to be logical to to create a price cap, but not actually control the prices yourself. Yeah, it's interesting. And I know that that bill, the 2170, is very troubling. Um, it didn't come out of a vacuum, I can tell you that. And I know that um, it's it's been amended as far as now it wants to put the burden on the North Dakota Insurance Commissioner to actually negotiate uh negotiate the prices and that's something he's not going to want to do in fact if you looked at the um the ndpers the retirement system fiscal note as as well as the testimony of the executive director on 2170 this bill they can't substantiate any savings um to the state or consumers any fiscal impact that it's going to have because of how strange and bizarre the language is it is a price control but they can't figure out how is this going to benefit not only the state, but also North Dakotans? Um, and he also specifically highlights that the fact that you'd put a price control based uh, for North Dakota drugs based on what's happening in a few different federal, federal provinces in, in Canada. Again, that's apples to oranges and people's needs are different and it's going to restrict access. Um, I mentioned that this didn't happen out of a vacuum. There's an organization called NASHB, and that's short for National Association of Health Policy, um, State Health Policy, and they're an organization that's supposed to be supposed to be nonpartisan, but frankly, they're not. Um, at the hearing on 2170, at the end of January, a gentleman named Drew Gatine, that's G-A-T-T-I-N-E, uh, spoke in favor and was represented in the committee as basically a neutral party and a nonpartisan observer. And he's been the primary driver in other states, um, uh, Maine, Rhode Island, Hawaii, and even Oklahoma, the only other red state that's seen any action on this bill besides North Dakota. And he is the, not only a current state rep um, Democrat in Maine, he's also the chair of the Maine Democratic Party. And um, Mr. Gatteen makes appearances around the country for this issue um, in an attempt to put price controls into different state systems. And so we think that's a dangerous political agenda and he's trying to remove the com competitive free market based on his ideology of what he thinks works, which ideology doesn't always match reality. Um, and so th there is that interest group and it's pushing and they talk to legislators all over the country, including in North Dakota. And that's where this language came from. And I can't think of any more devastating a thing for North Dakota patients um, to have a price control or restrict the access to their needed medications when in the, in the vast majority of the time, people are either taking generics or they're taking brand medicines that they can afford. It's these outline, um, and, and again, they're terrible cases uh, of patients that are having to pay uh, too much money for their drugs. And that's, we would argue, is a result of middlemen not applying the rebate um, to the patient's cost at the counter.
Does Maine have language in their code that is based on triggers uh, determined uh, that will be triggered by other states adopting this language? Is that his motivation? Uh, the, no, they, they have. So Maine, Rhode Island, Hawaii, three blue states are pushing the same legislation. And then North Dakota and Oklahoma are the two red states. And Maine right now under Gatine's guidance is trying to push this bill. Um, interestingly enough, the Maine was one of the first states a few years ago before the Trump order um, kind of drove the issue even further, but tried to, you know, they, they border Canada too, and they tried to enact a, 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 an importation program. However, they had no success with it and they got, they passed legislation and got down the road, but every pharmacy in the state, mom and pop and the big ones that did mail-in, they couldn't figure out a way to make it work. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's another way of comparing apples to oranges that our system is much more free market driven. And again, there are instances of, of these higher costs, but overall, that's just not the case. Yeah, it, it, there's always, there's always some uh, underlying motive. Uh, now I'm going to jump to uh, House Bill 1032. Um, and this is the one that uh, I'm, I'm least exposed to because I was working on, well, I was keeping an eye on the Senate ones. And, and this one was interesting because it did come out of the health care uh, interim committee, mm -hmm. which uh, gives it a little bit more uh, heft than, than the other bills. Um, and obviously it makes it a little bit tougher to defeat. Uh, and so this, this one is related to um, the benefit manager issue is this the uh, well why don't why don't you uh give me your uh your take on, on 1032 sure 1032 you know it people understanding and being able to 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 understand what they're going to pay especially up front is always a good thing and we think healthcare, unfortunately including prescription drugs you can't with the pbms and the health plans involved to eventually adjust the prices if you've got a, a health plan you can't always know going in oh i thought this is only going to be twenty dollars and now it's 75 dollars and um this bill does have a lot of good language because it shines some sunlight onto those types of issues and would help north dakotans understand things better as far as what they're getting themselves into and how they can understand costs up front um, just the problem with it is I give an analogy to a bill that happened in the, a, a, a law that was enacted in Minnesota a couple of years ago, and that was just due to health care or hospital costs. Um, so it was put in um, law to require um, specific health care costs in a hospital stay and different thresholds, triggers, whatever, to be um, required to be sent by the hospital to a patient. So if you go in and your wife has a baby, um, you could get that. So I actually took advantage of it. And what I got back was a 30 page packet of every single line item of coded stuff, because they all use use codes, not layman's terms or, you know, real English. And it's stuff that I just didn't understand. So the worry that we have, especially on the manufacturing side with the bill is that you're going to provide people with all sorts of information that one isn't going to bring down the cost of drugs if that's the you know intent of the bill and two um, the interpretation of what kind of publicly available data that the bill ultimately requires people might not be able to interpret that and it could just be a data dump and people might be con more confused than usual but again um, we do like the fact that the bill has um, transparency on every actor in the supply chain I talked about the manufacturers to the distributors, to the pharmacies, to the hospitals who distribute a lot of drugs. And a lot of times they upcharge them as well as the PBMs and the health plans who you look at a, a statement, you can see on your explanation of benefits, how the insurance adjusted it. So that's the price everybody ultimately pays, but it is concerning because I don't think that the transparency issue overall is gonna bring down um, healthcare costs. Well, that's interesting because that that was, of course, one of the primary arguments that those of us who fought Obamacare originally used was the upfront pricing was one of the the key tools that would fix things without government interference. Uh, you know, I, I 
traveled the state for about a year fighting that doing town halls and press conferences and all that stuff that everybody did. I was part of the uh, U.S. Chamber's effort here in North Dakota uh, back back in 09 and 10 on that. And, you know, the, the transparency has to be understandable. You know, so there's got to be somebody who who interprets it and puts it into language that the the uh, ideal is, you know, a McDonald's menu type of approach where you can actually fi- figure out what you're getting and what you're paying for and and that sort of thing. Uh, but nobody in the system really wants to do that, it seems. And and whether they can, I mean, they, they got to hire new people to 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 be able to to you know pretty it up pretty it up a little bit so that the regular person could read it. Um, you know, I, I I think that the overall uh, there. I've had issues on this with, you know, getting charged $3,600 for an IV. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and, and I understand contingency pricing and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, the average person may not, you know, it, it's kind of like the old uh, Department of Defense $600 hammer and $2,000 toilet seat. Well, because they don't do contingency pricing, they got to put the, the overcharge in the somewhere and it ends up being in the most ridiculous thing possible and and then those get all the attention and everybody thinks that that's a illustration of the inflation going on and everything right uh, and and then when you do get that bill you get to fight it it's like okay i was there for four hours there's no way i used 30 $3, is gonna buy me a truckload of iv bags i know that <laughs> yeah yeah or a or or one advil for eight dollars or something like that yeah. i've no family in my family i've seen and wonder what the heck's going on. But, um, you know, I'll give you an example just on that transparency issue. Minnesota passed a pretty big 2020 law um, on transparency, and it's only on manufacturers. They didn't put anybody else in the supply chain, which in our opinion certainly makes no sense because there's so many actors. But the data that they're collecting from the manufacturers that do business in the state, um, again, this law was passed in May and signed into law. they're not even collecting the data until October 1st of 2021. So what, seven months from now? Then they have, the Department of Health here has three or four months until the middle of January to take all that information and their quote unquote experts distill it down and analyze it into a way that a legislator or anybody could understand. But that said, they're still putting more, uh, they're still trying to pass more of these quote unquote transparency, which we really view we try to use the reporting, the term reporting, you know, mandatory reporting if when we can. They're still trying to push this session more reporting on us, um, even before we've already replied to the information from 2020. So um, I think it's just piling on and it sounds good on a soundbite and it's good politics by Twitter and social media without resolving the issue. Yeah, and, and that's kind of where uh, Senate Bill 2212 that ended up as a study and they passed that. And my guess is that even if the rest of the bills were to get defeated, the study would still go forward. And, and, you know, then it's a matter of uh, you guys doing your, your work in between. Um, But, you know, I, now we've gone through all of the uh, the reacting to what is out there. Are are there any uh, documented proposals by industry that states could uh, take on to to actually address this in a way that wouldn't make it worse, other than the obvious, you know, reducing corporate tax and and the generic stuff that we always talk about. Are there any specifics, any any you know, outline seven point plans that are out there already that states could grab on and and start discussing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got what we call our proactive policies, meaning things that we think are really gonna help people going forward with driving down their rates, uh, excuse me, their rates, what they pay out of pocket. And we just call it patients pay less. I'll give you an example. Um, There's a couple states in the Midwest, but there's been five states that have so far passed it, including uh, red and blue states. But uh, well, I guess Georgia's purple now, but we'll see. Uh, And Arizona and West Virginia, along with some others, and we call it an accumulator 
ban and it's um, also count the coupons. So what health plans have now and they deal around with their deductibles and the coinsurance and the copay, they get the rebates or coupons from us and they apply them not towards the cost of the drugs that the, their enrollees, their consumers pay at the counter or for their mail-in drugs. They put them into what they call an accumulator program. And that is, um, say you've got within your, your written policy, you've got a piece of it that they would call their accumulator program. And all the coupons that the manufacturers send get pushed into that rather than going towards a deductible or towards the lowering the uh, overall cost of your medicines. And so we've got five states that have passed that so far. Um, we've also got um, instances where we're looking to get um, states interested in requiring um, their health insurance plans to offer options with a fixed dollar drug copay. They wouldn't have to do it for a majority or even a lot of them, but just require them to offer at least one plan with a fixed copay or no deductible um, in addition to the other plans they offer in the states. So we've got a, we've got a, a menu of these issues that we work that, that have been successful in blue, red, and purple states um, that have been, um, that have been uh, put into law and that we're currently pushing um, all around the country. And so, you know, I think that if people really knew, especially North Dakotans knew how much um, coupons were getting tied up into the system and not being passed on to them um, by the manufacturers, I think they'd be even more up in arms than they are about the cost that they have to pay. So are there, are there existing laws that are preventing the manufacturers from being able to apply those coupons and rebates at the retail level? What really happens is, you know, we've got a wholesale acquisition cost that we set with a distributor. And there's three companies that control basically the distributing in the country. They buy it from us. They sell it to the pharmacy um, and or hospital to distribute. And then when somebody, most people have an employer-based plan. Some people are on public programs like Medicare or Medicaid, and some people um, buy their individual policies um, if they're especially if they're self-employed. So then after they're in a pharmacy or a health plan, they run them through a system. Um, and that then shows based on the person's contract with the health plan, which is contracted with a PBM, which they often own, then they adjust that price that the person pays at the counter based on that contract language. And so there's really not, um, there's not any law that would require either federally or the state to show specifically how much a North Dakotan should um, be receiving of the coupon that the manufacturer puts as a part of the product into the marketplace. So, so those coupons and rebates, when you say they accumulate, do they accumulate for that specific drug or do they accumulate for the whole pie? They would accumulate for, um, for one individual's health plan. So you might be taking three or four drugs and that would all go into your individual accumulator in your health plan. If you're taking one drug that all go in, if you're taking Ted, it all go into that same pile for each individual's health plan. And then it could be different if you're on a family policy, I've got a wife and two kids. And so um, it all depends on what the contract, your pharmacy, excuse me, it all depends on the contract that your employer signs with your health plan and then the contract that they sign with their PBM, which again, the, all the, most of the PBMs in the country are owned by the health plans, so. Okay, so, so there's a lot of averaging of costs that are going on that, that are probably, uh, would, it, would it be safe to say that the high priced drugs have the highest coupons in general? That can happen and it depends on the individual manufacturer though, because different manufacturers provide different levels of coupons based on um, the, the, the demand for the drug, the cost that it took to develop the drug, which is billions of dollars because the, um, you know, the most drugs go through extensive clinical trials and the vast majority of them fail. The vast, vast majority of them fail. So um, it's based on a myriad of factors, unfortunately, it's, it's opaque, but you can dig down, you can figure out, um, you can figure out what, what it is and where they're coming from. 
Um, I should probably highlight a few more that we've got. Um, we've got uh, co-patient cost sharing. So these are more of these proactive policies, a few more. Um, so patients with commercial health insurance, like you buy an individual policy, or you've got an employer-based plan, just because of the fact that most people in North Dakota and other states are facing increasing out-of-pocket costs for medicines. You know, they got growing deductibles, co-payments and co-insurance. It's acts as now a barrier for access to their medication. So we think that cost sharing shouldn't be so burdensome that it prevents patients with insurance to accessing necessary medicines. So that's, um, that's one issue. Um, I think that we also are looking to have people make sure that they're covered in North Dakota and other states coverage for their medicines from day one. A lot, a lot more now people move around in their jobs and they get different health plans, which is based on a set of contracts. And insurers are increasingly requiring patients to pay high deductibles, like I was saying, before receiving the coverage, the actual coverage for their medicines. Everything's going to the deductible before the insurance kicks in. So again, this can lead to them rationing or not taking their medicine at all. And we don't think that they should have to pay a deductible at the pharmacy counter um, and she have at least some of their medicine from the day that they're covered by their health plan um, covered from day one. And that leads to predictability for the patient. Um, and, you know, I, I think that we, we just want to make sure that the middlemen like the PBMs are sharing the savings again, um, that these rebates are being, I'm using the term rebates and coupons interchangeably, that they're being passed down to people at the counter to realize these costs. Healthcare is weird because, you know, we make a pro our, our, our member companies make a product. They put it into the free market or into the marketplace of North Dakota, the United States. And then you've got all these other individuals taking a cut out of the coupons in order to realize a profit for themselves rather than passing it on to the consumer, which is the intent. Yeah. And, and I'd say the, the corollary is probably the alcohol distribution system. The three-tiered yeah. system is is the closest to that, and and you've, your system is probably even more complicated than that. It sounds like you got four or five tiers at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, that's a that, no, but that analogy makes sense. I know what you mean, and yeah, it, it probably is more complicated because you know most people most people don't need alcohol to live, but some people need med, a lot of people need certain medications to live, and if not to live, to at least function as a you know, normal adult and they live day to day and be able to function. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there, there seems to be that it, it is weird that, that these bills are having such a, are being so effective and so far in, in North Dakota, because, you know, we're, we're as red as you can get. You know, we're very much against uh, socialized medicine and all that, but now we've got, I mean, if you just looked at what passed and by the margins it passed, you'd think that, you know, we, we had imported a bunch of Minnesota folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. You know, the, the, the price control bill, the Canadian reference pricing, the, the Canadian price control bill, I think that passed by only a few votes because yeah. there's so much concern and there was all the haggling over getting the insurance commissioner involved to negotiate on stuff. But, you know, our industry and, and I, we, we understand that there's these outlying cases and, and legislators need to be responsive to their constituents, especially in, you know, not being able to afford a medicine is a horrible thing. But um, there, there are the outlying cases. Most drugs are generic, as I said before, and most people are afford to, to take their brand name drugs when they take, when they're able to take them. And most of those people, and they're not most, a lot of those people in North Dakota that have to take um, medicines daily, a lot of them are seniors and a lot of them are covered under prescription Medi Medicare uh, Part D, which is federal law. And so there's so many different um, actors and, um, and variables in these specific situations. It doesn't always come out in hearings at the, at the, in Bismarck um, or other states, what's really going on, why these people are having to pay this amount, are there advocates, are there is there money behind them? Like in the case of, um, you know, I was talking about Nashby, this, this, the head of the main Democratic Party who's been out there pushing all these things. Um, you know, I just want to say it shouldn't be surprising to, um, to, to people at the watchdog that, um, that a lot of these people for Nashby or liberal activists um, 
there's a man named John Arnold, who's a billionaire. And he um, and his wife fund a lot of um, left-wing things throughout the country. But one of their things is spending millions of dollars to advocate for greater government control over healthcare. Um, and they've been a big pusher behind these types of legislation. And they've been a big proponent and a lot of money behind um, Nancy Pelosi's uh, prescription drug price control legislation at the federal level over the past few years. And so, you know, I think it's always great if people come into these debates with eyes wide open on who are these players? Where is this stuff coming from? How does this help me? Who's really gonna, you know, make out from having something like this? Um, and, and it's Nashby and people like this guy, John Arnold. So, um, they're also pushing, Nashby is also pushing, besides this importation and the, the price control for Canada, they're also pushing bills to have um, in Minnesota, and I haven't yet seen in North Dakota because I follow all the North Dakota legislature legislation pretty closely, affordability review or cost control commissions. And that bill is being moved in the Democrat House, controlled House in Minnesota. It's not going to go anywhere in the Republican controlled Senate the only split legislature in the country for the next two years again. But I can't think of anything that would restrict patient access to medicine than a big state bureaucracy that puts a price control and makes determinations on what drugs can be and cannot be um, basically sold in the state. And so it's the same people behind all these bills. Yeah, and it, it would seem to me that it, it would be more cost effective on both sides of the ledger, both on the state side and, and on the industry side to just come together and develop some sort of a, a compassionate program where, you know, if, if your drug is a life and death situation and it's keeping you, you know, uh, from having the, the terrible side effects of, of um, you know, uh, chemotherapy or something like that, you know, let's address those cases. Let's actually target who we're trying to target and not have broad approaches that, that end up making things worse for everybody. Yeah. The law of physics, um, unfortunately, sometimes in politics, the, every, every action doesn't have an equal and opposite reaction. Unfortunately, the, the reaction is sometimes way worse than the proposed action. And, um, you know, it's it, it, again it's unfortunate that these things happen but you know our industry has i think at last count over 950 um by every manufacturer of the 33 we have over 950 custom tailored um patient assistance programs that the manufacturers will sign patients that need those brand name drugs up for um and you know they've they've thought of just about every scenario for every drug i don't know that everybody knows about them um, that, that takes those drugs, but they're there and they're private industry sponsored and they're in a, in a big attempt to get around this uh, log jam of getting the coupons um, onto those patients that deserve them. Yeah, and, and I, I would assume that a lot of those are the, the, the big name drugs that actually are the lifesaver drugs. Uh, now those companies don't expect to probably uh, make it all back anyway. It's kind of a loss leader thing you develop it's part of the brand. You have this good drug here that, you know, if you break even fine, but you're making your money on another drug and, and that's a $3 drug rather than a $300 drug. Yeah. It's, yeah there's, there's so many variables, um, not just in the prescription in the healthcare world generally in the United States, but that's, I think why we're at the forefront because you let, you know, there's bad actors and we don't want bad actors and pharma's even drop members over bad acting and price gouging and we oppose price gouging. Um, but part of the reason that there's so many actors is because the United States, um, and I know most North Dakotans would agree, support entrepreneurs and the development of ideas into nurse new products or services, especially when they help people, um, as is the case of medicine. So um, yeah, it's there's these, these horrible cases, but I, if we can get the word out more about these patient assistance programs, which again, um, number almost to a thousand. I think that it's better if people know about that. Yeah, certainly in the last five years, the, the insulin and the EpiPen cases have uh, 
have been the two worst black eyes for the industry, I'm, I'm sure. And, and a lot of that comes down to what, what used to be called vulture capitalism and, and people buying up companies, hedge funds buying up companies and, and you know, trying to take whatever they can from them and, and dump them in the, in the ocean afterwards. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely, there, there, there needs to be more positive uh, interaction. And I would suggest that, you know, obviously with these bills and the votes that they've gotten, uh, the industry needs to pay a lot more attention to North Dakota going forward, that's for sure. Yeah, we've seen odd odd provisions in the bills um, that have been introduced in North Dakota over the last couple months. Um, some that would require a state to do business, uh, excuse me, a, a manufacturer, which is a private business, to do business in the industry. That, in other words, not be allowed under state law to pull out of the any product out of the state. Secondly, there's also been language that's been introduced in these bills that would require not just a registered agent in the state for uh, the private business, a manufacturer, but require a physical presence, you know, a bricks and mortar physical presence in the state to do business. And um, if that's not government overreach, I don't know what is. Definitely. And obviously, you know about our 51% rule for pharmacies that 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 law has been in place since the 60s. And, and, you know, that's right down there at the, the retail level. So a lot of this is, is that old populist protectionist policy uh, migrating up the food chain, I would say, and, and people uh, uh, thinking that that's the solution. I mean, it, it, if they want companies to, to be headquartered here, they, they need to uh, be more conducive to, to, uh, uh, a business climate and that sort of thing, and maybe they'll come here. <laughs> well, the, 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 both the Dakotas, North and South, certainly have a leg up on Minnesota in that regard and probably will in the foreseeable future um, if they are able to keep their free market uh, ideas intact. Yeah, and obviously that, that, that's less of a sure thing now than any of us thought, I think. And uh, you know, it, it's amazing how fast things have changed in the last six years. That's for sure. It's it's crazy. It's just crazy. Well, with that, uh, if you have any uh, final thoughts, uh, I I I just like your EIB microphone. If you <laughs> you so, got the reference. Well, of course I do. I've I've been around a long time, and I used to call into talk radio shows when I was a teenager in the '90s. So uh, I I totally get it. Um, we were family friends with the Strindens. Um, if okay. You remember that yeah. Yep. Years ago, family cabin was up outside of uh, Vergas and uh, Pelican Rapids. So spent time in Fargo. My grandfather grew up there. Um, um, oh gosh, uh, related to the, to people all over the state. So um, I love history. And I just watched last week when I was talking about the Germans from Russia, our local channel too here. Yeah, I watched public television, but it was interesting because it was all about the Germans from Russia in North Dakota and their food. So I mm -hmm. watched that for an hour long and that was fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. Lots of good Fleischkiekle and Nefla soup. Those are the two big things that people know. Yeah. Well, it's probably better than Ludafisk, which I was first. Yeah. To eat yeah. We won't, we won't get into that. that that'll just piss people off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, uh, good talking to you. Yeah, you and, too. Uh, uh, keep in touch, and and we will uh, do what we can to to make sure that our legislators don't go too far off the rails. Yeah, let me know if you need anything, Dustin. I appreciate your time. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Bye.